Hey, welcome back everybody to the Benos podcast. And today's guest is the sports director of Bayern Munich, Daniele Baezi. Daniele and me go back to 2012. Uh, that's when our friendship started. And until this day, we are still very close. And he, luckily, he opened up today on the podcast about a lot of things. Uh, after going in, into his background and digging into his times at Biela, uh, what they taught him, we also talked about how he builds a roster and what he looks for, how he accounts for chemistry and if he, if he factors it in or not, uh, as well as crisis management and the role of a coach in the roster buildup. A lot of good things, a lot of, a lot of gems in this one and a lot of open conversation from Daniela. I appreciate that. Uh, so if you're not a subscriber yet, please subscribe, press the little button down here. And also on all the audio platforms, become a subscriber, listen in. We, the guests keep flowing in. So it's never going to stop. And uh, I appreciate you if you're already a subscriber. And uh, talk to you soon. Enjoy this one. Bye. All right, Daniele, we're recording. So uh, let's, let's, let's stop joking around now and let's get serious here. Um, since we've, we've talked already a lot here, we're not going to have wine today as good friends, but we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to have some tea. You will, and I'll be the boss, as you see today in this video. I'll be the gonna boss gonna go with today. the water. Uh, even okay. though it gets me rusty, but okay. <laughs> so we're we've been we've been friends for a long time now, and I appreciate you uh, joining my my project, <laughs> my new project that I'm I'm doing on the side. And uh, it actually should be called uh, "For Pros by Pros" <laughs> because it's a very niche and very in depth uh, podcast. But I appreciate you joining, <laughs> and hopefully uh, we can teach or, or explore some topics that are interesting for, for basketball nerds, let's call them. Benas, you must be really desperate if you end up calling me. It means everybody else said no. So that doesn't speak highly of your project. It's okay. It's all right. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And no, step by step. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll invite you back. I'll invite you back. We'll, we'll get it again. <laughs> um, so I... Our friendship goes back to 2012, I believe, at the uh, Junior World Championships uh, in Kaunas. Uh, and I think that's where we met before. And we were making fun of a certain somebody that should, shall not be named. <laughs> uh, You're, I don't remember that, to be honest with you. you but don't. for sure, I was making fun of somebody. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, so you were you were still scouting for the Detroit Pistons at that time, and uh, I just duly started the job at, at Seska at that time. Um, so, but to go back into your background a little bit, because today um, for coaches, I usually prepare four quarters. For you, I have uh, let's call it three periods <laughs> with an extra period at the end. Um, that I would like to go dig into the background just a little bit of of having people understand of what kind of um, background you have in order to help you do your profession at the highest level. And as I remember, before you went into basketball, you were, you had some journalist, uh, you have some journalist background in, in Italy before you became a sports director. Correct. Uh, I was, uh, I actually, uh, I actually started as uh, uh, being involved somehow in basketball as a, as a guy that checks the tickets for the season ticket holders at uh, the arena in Bologna, okay? And I was doing that for uh, Virtus and Fortitudo. So for me, a uh, basketball junkie that I was and uh, that I was no longer, uh, <laughs> it, it was a blessing, you know, because getting paid 42,000 liras uh, to check the tickets of, uh, of the fans and being actually one of the guys that could have the privilege 
of watching the game in a sold out arena, it was it was pretty something, you know, it was pretty special. Then things eventuated and I started to uh, report. I, I was a freelance, uh, which is a polite way of saying that I was unemployed. Um, then I joined the EuroLeague for the very first three years as a member of the Oficina de Prensa. Uh, I was uh, one of the editors of the website and all the contents and the media guide. I had very much fun, to be honest with you, uh, working there. And then uh, uh, for a number of reasons, I decided to move, uh, uh, to leave Bologna and, uh, and work uh, as a, an undefined kind of manager in Biel. And that's how it all started. And uh, funny thing is that in Biela, when I got there with a the car, all I saw was uh, rice fields and mosquitoes. And uh, so <laughs> I packed my stuff up for two weeks and I told my employer, like, I'm, I'm out of here. I can't deal with this, you know. And I ended up staying six years thanks to the people that I found there. And then, you know, the rest is, uh, the rest is history. <laughs> Yeah, uh, let me let me double click on the Virtus and Fortitudo uh, together. It w was that not illegal at that time to get to to be hired by both clubs at the same time and still enjoy the benefits of the games? <laughs> well, I was not really hired by the clubs. Uh, I was okay. working for uh, for a company that uh, was handling the the, the ticketing and uh, I don't know the English for that, but let's say I was one of the stewards uh at the arena so i was working for another company but i would uh, not okay. only for basketball i would do in formula one and uh some some concerts and guess what the Emilia as well in 9899 uh, <laughs> so yeah yeah but uh, to go back on on biela as well you said people made you stay there how important do you find the people that you work with day in day out in your job to make life w really worth or the job worthwhile Well, it, I think that it, sorry, it helped ahead. you. St it helped you stay there six years. So after all, it, it, it must have been more than just uh, regular work relationships. Well, you know, I mean, the the, the thing is, uh, uh, when when you talk about those years, uh, those are pretty much uh, very related to the circumstances. You know, everything that happened that had happened before, uh, what I went through uh, in my last year in Bologna. Uh, and the reasons why I basically received an offer on Sunday night and I jumped on the car and left my hometown on a Tuesday morning. So, you know, uh, the, the reason why I needed to find good people and I was lucky enough to find great people, uh, it was that uh, I was also pretty much in need of finding a healthy environment. And uh, that, was, uh, that was Michael Kuhn, basically. It ended up being Michael Kuhn. Um, you know, in a leadership position or in a leading position, uh, I believe this is one of the things I learned from, from the great Joe Doomers and he can't lead if you don't have great people. And, uh, this is to me, uh, one of the mantras that, uh, that, uh, I try to follow on a daily basis because, um, you know, your behaviors or daily behaviors are what's going to establish the culture of the place you're working at you know i learned a lot of things back then you know if, if in biela uh, i learned the basics it was like uh, i've always said like it's like rosetta stone for me 
you know, it helped me decrypt the world uh, that I want to be part of. And uh, it basically uh, dug some trenches in, in, in my soul that uh, were meant to become values. And uh, they are. They still are. You know, one, one simple thing, you know, <laughs> when, when, when my parents would ask me, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? I, I, one of the answers I gave was like, I'm buying toilet papers for the players. <laughs> uh, so my mother you know her second son who she loves and so on you know like so i did all this in my life so that you could buy toilet papers for the players but she could not understand because okay that was uh that was a joke but she did not understand what it meant to take care of the people you were doing stuff with you know and uh back then you know american players would come in and their GSM phone would, would, would not work. There was a different, there was a different mm-hmm. frequency or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would walk into their apartment and they would find, uh, you know, first aid stuff or toilet paper or fruit or milk, something to have breakfast with the morning after. And uh, our club was uh, composed by a general manager and four or five people, two out of five part-time. And we were the ones going around supermarkets to buy stuff for the players. And I remember those years with great pride and 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 uh, with a huge smile on my face always. So to answer your question, basically yes. But when you when you go back and put yourself in the shoes again of of how old were you back then? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Okay, so you you come in into a cocoon which you didn't know will become your cocoon at that time. But you're coming in into a new world and a new profession or, or a new environment, let's say, who's, which is very, very um, unique compared to the regular world, uh, outside world that, that we also experience every now and then when we jump out of our bubble currently. But what was the one thing that you f- feel like, man, that was an uphill battle that you struggled to understand or you struggled to feel like, uh, like it was, it was a, a steep learning curve, let's call it, because I remember from my experience, I mean, I was always in a team environment to a certain extent as a player, as a coach, assistant coach, scout. But when I went to Moscow, I was like, there was so, there was a steep learning curve. And I was like, I will 100% get fired tomorrow morning from <laughs> like, I had this feeling inside of like, oh my God, I, I, I have to learn this as soon as I can, as soon as, as quickly as I can. And it makes you feel kind of kind of uncomfortable because it's just a, a, a learning curve that you're going through, and that's the that's the that's the beauty of also learning something new. Growth happens when it's uncomfortable. So I was wondering what was the uncomfortable growth factor for you in 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 in, that, in Biela at that time in the first year. Well, I can give you the textbook answer and and tell you how to scout or how to make press releases, you know, what has to be on the headline, what has to be in the first sentence or paragraph or whatever the case may be. But what you just mentioned is actually what I I had enormous problems uh, dealing with in my previous life. Because from May 2003, I mean, it was... uh, uh, it, it was uh, a completely different, a completely change of scenario. It's like another another person started to wear my, you know, my clothes. Mm-hmm. So dealing, not dealing with people, but learning how to interact with others and uh, how to respect others um, because they were great no matter what they did. 
for you know for for how they behaved with me. Uh, they can make mistakes on the job, but uh, one thing is to be critical and one thing is to be harsh. For example, how you address certain things. You know, my areas of improvement. You have to understand, and and that's why if you, if you if you talk about those years in Biella, it goes definitely back to to the situation I was living in. And, uh, you know, the fact that basically I got punched in the face five, six times uh, at the same moment, you know, in the same moment. And uh, I had to go somewhere else. And, and believe me, one of my colleagues back then was so afraid of me joining. She knew me uh, that she went up to my what became my employer, my superior, uh, to ask what did she do wrong uh, for him to hire me? Uh, you know, so this was the, let's say the, my reputation preceded me. I was, you know, the people that, uh, uh pe- most of the people I knew, or I had to, uh, had the chance to interact with, would, uh, unanimously, uh, consider me an asshole, excuse my language, but this, this was, uh, this was it, you know, and, um, I learned, I learned how to fight with other people. I learned how, you know, sense of togetherness. Uh, meant back then and uh i looking back now i didn't know back then then with all the respect i had my let's put let's say my goal or you know my ambition i wanted to, to I, I wanted to go somewhere and make a stand but i did not know what i was basically going to do there i just ran away from a bunch of problems i had and there i i could really understand what um this profession really meant uh, what what uh, working in this business was all about, what uh, the real important things are. And, um, you know, when I say trenches that, uh, you know, were dug in my soul, I still remember vividly the way I felt on a day-to-day basis and how important it was for me to be welcomed by people who didn't know me and had not the, the best of opinions of the opinions on on me so in other words i learned you know that judging others is a very dangerous sport and uh that that comes into play to this day when when you have to make a decision whether it's on a coach or on a player or on a colleague and how to relate to others in crucial and critical moments uh, it's it's hard for me to explain with with details and part, and 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 particular examples, but it's like uh, you know learning how to, to to read and write. You you will always know how to do it, you know, uh, basically. And so for me, it's a given. Sounds like there was a lot of conflict and uh, also conflict management uh, in terms of human human interactions and. Uh, uh, if if you if you go back, I'm sure it taught you a lot of about, which I call the spectrum of people of having interactions with a wide variety of of, of personalities. And the more you 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 meet them as you go along, the more you feel like like you said, judgment and judging a book by its covers, as I say, or like as as people say, obviously not not only me, but um, that's something that you learn is uh, is unnecessarily done a lot of times, and you cannot do that. I'm sure that you, this, with this hands-on experience, uh, went through a lot of lot of different experiences and saw a lot of different people that you may or may not learn 
more about as you go on. But the more you work with the person, the more you get to uh, befriend the person as well. The more you are in the office with them, the more the closer you get. Uh, how did how did this, this these friendships uh, hold up throughout this time uh, after you left? Is it st still something that you that you hold on to, or do you move on quicker quick from that? Uh, no, I mean um, I'm a I'm you know I'm a down to earth person in that sense, and I really value uh, people that you know truly leave a mark in in my life. Okay. Um, of course, you know, you don't get to see each other very often, but I don't think we have that kind of friendship where you have to see each other every day. We don't have to say hello. Yeah. Uh, plus nowadays, you know, there's uh, plenty of tools to, to, to remain in touch. But when you get to see each other, it's like we never, we never got pulled away one another, you know, and uh, what we've gone through those years and even how the how the situation ended, you know, how everything ended and what happened afterwards. And, uh, uh, even the ones that, uh, you know, are no longer in my inner circle, which is, you know, uh, inevitable for, for everybody. But, uh, I talked yesterday to one of, uh, one of the coaches I worked with over there and he has one of our players on a loan. Uh, and, uh, I've seen the office people back in August, 12 hours is enough. Uh, especially for a guy like me, <laughs> but uh, seriously, I mean, it, it, it's um, yeah, to me, it's a blessing. Like I said, to have met people of this kind of quality, because to tell you the truth, I would not be here without those six years. Yeah. I would, I would not have a direction. Not that I would not be Bayern Munich, but I did not know what I was doing back then in Biela until I kind of find out, found out that what I was doing was actually good. I it felt good. I liked it. And I even remember when that happened and uh, the kind of uh, experience I had that night on a road game it was the first road win of the season in Reggio Calabria. You're forced to sleep over and fly back to, to Milan or Torino, whatever the case it was, uh, the day after. And I remember the way I felt that night. And it was like, well, this might be interesting for the future. And uh, Like somebody wrote once, it was a spark that set everything on fire. So, so let, let's let's fast forward a, just a little bit. After those experiences, you became an NBA scout uh, for the Detroit Pistons, uh, and f whichever way it happened, whichever way it, it, however your time was with the Pistons, uh, without really going into depth. But how did the experience with the NBA team help you in your current job as a sports director? Um, specific besides the network part that you experienced and you it helps on a day-to-day -day basis i'm sure throughout uh, that you people that you met throughout the detroit pistons uh, era uh, while you were scouting for them but how uh, did the role that you were having with the with the uh, pistons help you in the sports director profession well um for me it was like opening the pandora box okay Because when I, when I talk about Biela and I say it was the Rosetta Stone, uh, it helped me decrypt stuff. And then when I joined the Pistons, and uh, I remember writing my first report on Victor Claver. Uh, and years later, I went back because I, I, I keep everything. I don't throw anything away, um, especially those things. <laughs> I burst out laughing when I read it. I'm like, oh, man, I was so cocky. I was so self-assured. 
uh, I'm still cocky and I'm still self-assured, uh, <laughs> but I like to I'd like I like to say that I'm a lot more confident than self-assured. I did my uh, uh, we call it gavetta in, in Italian, which means you know you did your training, you did uh, we all have a past, you know, and uh, considering who I was and who I am, where I come from, what I did. Um, in school and university and so on, nobody would have ever assumed I could have a, a career in basketball. You know, <laughs> working for the Pistons to me, uh, it, it was like I said, the Pandora opening the Pandora box because it taught me how to handle crises and how to handle uh, rebuilding, how to handle uh, mostly crises because back then. We were a losing team in, in never-ending rebuilding or something. I've seen the franchise being sold to a new ownership. And I've seen what happens in those kind of situations from, from the inside uh, of, of, the, um, you know, of the plot. So for me, it was, uh, it was learning it from the best, learning that uh, y- you can't make things too complicated. I remember there was uh, in the office of the assistant GM, there was uh, a picture of Bobby Knight. Uh, the assistant GM was his manager at Indiana University. And the caption read, uh, don't complicate winning. And uh, yes, I did understand years later what it meant. But I remember the picture. It hit my attention. Plus, when you work with the great ones and you see how how simple they keep it when they have to explain things when they have to when they have to to make a point uh it was uh i mean for me it was like uh we say in italian you touch the sky with a finger and uh that that's what happened you know i've always said this in in other interviews that i made i remember going to to a game and and we were playing the knicks at the garden that year, the Knicks had uh, Gallinari. I think it was uh, it was okay for sure. It was before the, the Carmelo Anthony trade. And I remember at the end of the game, we left the whole game. Then, of course, we lost the last five minutes. They're a superior team, and we lost. So Joe asked me, like, "What do you think of the game?" And I go, "Like, ah, we should have done this. Ah, we should have done that." Oh, it was my first year with them. And Joe <laughs> looks at me and he says, "Like, I think we competed great." And he then explained me what the concept of perspective is. Uh, you can still make a mistake in choosing this player or that player and putting together the team, but you need to know why you're doing certain things because otherwise you cannot uh, ascertain or ad- nor admit the problem uh, when it's time to fix it. So... It was a very keep it real type of experience. And uh, most of the things that I do now or I say now basically come out of those uh, five, five and a half years and everything that I learned. So I am really, really, really blessed. Have you, have you heard the expression kiss? Kiss. Besides the kiss, kiss. Yeah, but it's spelled kiss. Yeah, uh, uh, I think so. Yeah. A player told me that, was right. Yeah. A player told me. A player told me that once. He said, "Keep keep it simple, stupid." Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, let's uh, let's talk about the, the the sports director profession a little bit. How would you define it if if you want to sim- simplify and define if it's possible at all to simplify this profession? But what would you define uh, the sports director profession as? Uh, 
I think uh, um, you're like the mayor, um, you know, in in, a, in what we call Junta, which is the city government in, in, in my home country. The mayor does everything that all the assessori, you know, it's like a minister, doesn't do, you know. They don't do. So everything else is uh, uh, on, the, on the mayor's table. Uh, I've seen this in, in, in my hometown when I went to the city hall one time. So every assessor would get the, the duties, the tasks, and then there's for everything else, there's the mayor. So uh, this is the kind of approach that I have. I'm not saying that you have to do everything or anything that other people can't or don't want to do or don't feel like doing. This is a totally different, totally different issue. Uh, I believe that there is no definition. Um, in when, but, you know. Does it vary like, from team to team? It varies from situation to situation in that sense because you you deal or you relate to people or with people and you can't find the same human being uh, in two different cities, you know. Uh, coming to Bayern Munich is is you find a different culture than the one you find in, in Bamberg. Um, Bamberg is a small place, more or less the size of Biela, a little bit bigger, but... Obviously, it's a different kind of context. And, uh, you know, it's difficult for me to give a definition in that sense because I believe that uh, the sports director is the guy that handles the sports part. And the sports part, are, you know, is made with, you know, by people, is made of people. And uh, when, you need, when you deal with people, you deal with problems. And uh, it could be an injury, but it could be a player to sign, but it could be a player that doesn't sleep because... Uh, the wife is pregnant and he's, uh, he's on him the whole day. And this is what happens on our team right now in a couple of cases. <laughs> uh, we're talking about great people, but with their own issues, you know, their own problems. And uh, especially in COVID times, you know, being able to inspire and, and, you know, help people see that there is a bigger goal ahead of you than just the result of the game. Uh, you know, it's it's really difficult. Plus, I'm not probably the the right guy to keep it short or simple in that sense. But I learn something every day on the profession, on the job, because I also see others. Uh, you know, Andrea, for example, told me in practice something today that uh, I didn't know, and he told me uh, about uh, you just watch the under eleven, under ten, or under eleven practice and he came to me and he told me something uh and i'm like uh yeah i mean i should be the one addressing this point but if you don't tell me i'm never going to figure it out so i'm a sponge in that sense uh you know i think you have to be open for that you you have to be uh humble enough to understand and i had a conversation with with Yanis as well Yanis veropoulos about that that you have to be humble <laughs> in order to be open for new information. Otherwise, if you're closed off and you're in your little square, you will never be able to fix anything because you are only seeing it from one perspective, from one paradigm. And, and uh, that will keep you and the club in the same, on the same level for, for forever, unless you, you learn uh, like how to open up a little door to let some new information in and to hopefully scramble your brain a little bit. Well, you know, in, in, in this, uh, okay, I have to go back to the years in Biela because I had one year left in my contract and it was a good contract, okay? Plus, it was 33 years old. Um, who is a general manager of an Italian club 
at thir- at age 33. I mean, now it might happen, but you know, back then he was the young manager. I'm still co- perceived as a young manager in Italy, and I'm 46 now. So uh, I mean, that was funny. He was 32, 31, 32 years old. So uh, the, the point is, I tried back then when you know I realized the concept of outgrowth back then. So I outgrew the organization because the things that I was trying to bring in uh, the organization in order to stimulate new directions, new horizons, the club was not recept- uh, receiving them. You know, they were, wow, we made it to top four. We qualified for Euro Cup. We should play next year Euro Cup to advance to the second round. And I was trying to explain them, this is the end of something. This is the arrival of the, 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 the cycle that we've been, without even knowing that, the building, you know. It's, it's tough to, to talk about cycles when you change so much every year and you have no alternative. But you think about Jerebko. And I remember how Jerebko was presented to me as a, as a signing on the market. Do you want to get the new Sefolosha? So we were basically doing something that other people uh, were giving us credit for, and we didn't know that, and we didn't understand that. And this is when, you know, I had, uh, I think you were there when we had the SAP uh, convention over here in Munich. Yep. And I said, I, I said one thing talking about, uh, uh, you know, talking, talking about how you develop, how you get better, how you can challenge your organization. At the end of the day, that's what my club back then didn't do. And I felt uh, imperative for me to, to step on the side because I was not getting the answers from my club uh, that I was looking for. And back then, you know, when you, when you talk about uh, get your facts and, uh, and uh, how do you say, uh, it's clear in Italian in my head. You know, this is one of the things that I'm paying the price for. You know, thinking in Italian, but speaking English. I mean, it, it was like, uh, you know, relationship equity was a concept. You know, I'm not hiding stuff uh, because uh, I want to... Okay, hiding stuff because I want to keep uh, a relevant position in the organization. Uh, well, I'll, I'll put everything I can or anything I can, anything I have in the system so that anybody can get better, starting from me. Uh, but, you know, back then when I was asking questions, I felt like, no, no, we stick to what we are. We stick to uh, what we've been going through so far. And then there was no longer, you know, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, um, I was no longer coherent with the identity of the club. And I was talking about this in the, in the SIP, SAP uh, uh, clinic, you know, when, when there's no clarity, you know, you take one route and others take the other. So, yeah, so, th- these are things that you learn on the fly, basically. You don't know that before. Yeah, there's no degree for that. And uh, you said you mentioned information and, and handling information. Uh, that, that was one of the subjects I wanted to, to, to touch on also uh, in terms of, handling information externally is one thing when you talk to uh, media members or whatever it's like there's not much uh, openness about certain details and it shouldn't be Uh, but within externally with other clubs or with other sports directors other gms uh, other coaches from other clubs 
uh, I would like for you to to explain which information do you see vital to withhold from your from from other people outside the organization, uh, but within our profession or within within the the, the professional uh, uh, realm, and and which information. Uh, how do you, how open are you within the organization with each other to to uh, to to have the information flow between the different uh, roles? Well, people here and not only here say I talk too much. Uh, I'm too open, uh, but besides uh, having my reasons for talking too much, I'm open because I believe that the more people know, the better they can help. Uh, of course, there is a limit to, to, especially nowadays when it comes to sensitive topics like personal health or uh, nowadays in the COVID times or, you know, if, look, we were coming out of the, out of the Zipser situation uh, yeah. from, uh, from that happened in, in May. Of course, you know, I remember people asking me what is really going on, you know, and I had to withhold that. You know, uh, but eventually it came out. It was just that y you do not know what kind of use people are going are going to 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 do of such a personal type of information. But look, when it when it comes to when it comes to other stuff, this is one of the things I learned with the Pistons because, you know, George David was uh, is again now the assistant GM of the franchise. Uh, he told me that one night he was at the game and uh, the scout from another franchise next to him, the executive, uh, saw that he was forwarding me his scouting report on whatever play, whatever college play. And this person asked him like, wow, you send your reports to international scout. How, how could you trust him? And George answered like, why would I hire him if I don't trust him? <laughs> you know, which is pretty, which is pretty obvious. But, you know, there's a famous poet, a writer in, in Italy that said, like, the, the most understood uh, truths are the first ones that will get, will get forgotten, you know, uh, because you tend to, you know, it's understood. Yeah, of course, it's a given. And then you forget. Yeah. And um, in this, to me, it's, it's based on the situation. But there is nothing uh, overall, with some exceptions, of course, but there is nothing overall that I'm going to hide from the people I work with. I need them to know because uh, our coaching staff, for example, need to know certain things and need to be involved in the decision-making, knowing what the hierarchy of the club is. Because anybody's point of view can be helpful in that sense. They might see stuff that I don't pay attention to. They might uh, uh, find out stuff that I don't know. So in, in this sense, uh, okay, it's easy when you have a short front office. With the Pistons the first years before uh, Van Gandhi came in, we had like six or seven guys. And I was one of those six or seven. So for me, it was really a blessing in that sense because I could absorb a lot of things and learn in that sense. But uh, I understand that there are others who might behave differently. But this is the only way I can do. Okay, yeah, that, that explains it. I mean, that, there's... There has to be a certain amount of a lot of trust within the organization with each other to open up, and otherwise, otherwise there will be no progression. If you if there's other person that feels that there is a little bit of something is being withheld, then there's automatically going to be a mistrust mistrust uh, between the two parties. And I I would I always try to avoid it. I'm also a lot of times I'm I'm probably way too transparent, but I feel like I have to be that way 
with people in order to understand where I'm coming from. Um, oh, look, Ben, so let me tell you one thing, uh, an example, because, uh, okay, I, I mentioned the, the, the Zipser problem back, back in May, and I don't want to go over the topic, but since it's communication related, I remember uh, receiving the call from Marco Pesic, our general manager, and the doctor informing me of everything that happened. Okay. And uh, I was like, wow, because I did not understand the magnitude of, of the problem. And the first thing they told me was like, don't tell anything to the coaches because we do not have enough details. Okay. We do not know how to deliver the message. I've been going back and forth in my mind that day. Okay. Yeah. I understand why they say that, but I felt personally that uh, Andrea Trinchieri should have known. He had the right to know that. So if Marco listens to this podcast, <laughs> he's probably going to fire me on the spot. But I called Andrea out for dinner because this is definitely something you would not deliver over the phone. And I told him, we had a game the, year, uh, the night before and uh, Paolo was on the bench and he didn't feel like playing, of course. Uh, certain things that happened during the game uh, tensions like always during the game. So I felt imperative to share this with Andrea because I know he would do, he would handle it the right way. And uh, it was such an intense moment for us that uh, maybe, you know, you, you never know if you're right or wrong in these things. I, I also felt like, you know, it should be, it's Powell's right to share this, you know, not mine. But at the same time, you know, it was something that, you know, we were overwhelmed with everything. And uh, it sounds I like it was like, a, a gut decision. It sounds like it was a gut decision to say to to go that route. Look, I've been delivering bad news to my parents, and that was uh, about my personal problems, and that was the toughest thing to do to inform them, <laughs> not to yeah. handle with the problems. You know, health issues and uh, and so on and so on. Uh, that was a tough thing to do. And I tried to put myself into their shoes, you know, and uh, that's what I did with Andrea that day. And uh, I'll never forget. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm you know. sure I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a high intense pressure moment to open up about these kind of things and to, to deliver, deliver bad news. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine. I, I've hadn't had to do that <laughs> to this point. Um, well, both of us, look, both of us were, wow, he's not going to play the finals. At first, me, and then it was him. I'm like, well, I, I, I think you, you're missing the point here. And I remember he, he was, you know, Andrea, you know, he was speechless for the next 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And he, go, he went back with his mind, uh, why did I say this? Why did I do that? But Andrea, listen. I mean, it's not about you. <laughs> it's yeah. about him now. But you yeah. need to know. I think you need to know. This is how I felt. Maybe I was wrong. Probably I was wrong. But this is the way I felt on stage and this is the way I behaved. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about also in regards to, to the head coach, how to build a roster and how much, because I have a couple, several questions lined up to, to how to build a successful roster. Uh, but first of all, how do you incorporate the coach in this uh, decision-making of a, of a roster makeup? Well, what, what I try to, uh, to, to do always is to have the most uh, options possible uh, with the rosters. 
with the roster. So you get the players that can fulfill tasks that the team is going to need. Um, so this obviously comes from the coaching staff. The team needs A, B, C, D. And you need to come, out with, come up with options that are going to uh, satisfy those needs. Um, so for sure, the coaches, all of the coaches are involved here in identifying the needs. Uh, you probably can, can, can uh, testify this also. Usually it happens with scouts. Somebody tells the scouts that this is what the team is going to be needing going forward. Uh, here we don't have a million scouts uh, because, of course, this is Europe and not the NBA. But uh, at the same time, uh, the, I think that the approach and the principles that are uh, behind the approach, the ideas and, and um, the, the, the steps that are behind the approach are pretty much the same. And then we just do what uh, teams do in the war room. You know, uh, we just close the door and say, we're not going to get out of here until we have a decision. Knowing, as, as I mentioned early on, what the hierarchy of the club is. So who has the last word? The club. When you work in, when you're in tune, you know, and you work with some kind of shared purpose and uh, 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 understanding each other, and this is one of the uh, big fortunes that I have with Andrea, uh, it never happened that I'm overruling, you know. I might be saying, like, I think you should trust me on this because I really believe boom, boom, boom. And uh, being together for so long, the two of us, and having reasonable success, success together, uh, he knows how I see things. I know how he sees things. I know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis for the good and the bad. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, for example, in, in signing Rubit, that was our last signing this year, uh, we basically went you know, player by player, listing them all. It should be the same thing with all players, but sometimes it's just like, boom, we agree on this and there's nothing to discuss. In the case of Rubit, there was no alignment, no agreement on the profile of the big we should have added. Uh, so we did what the NBA teams do. Okay, what are the 10 needs we have? Prioritizing them also. And then all the options that are available on the market that are on our short list for our money we see who basically hits the, the highest score. And uh, Rubit was the second highest score. <laughs> But we still went for him. And I think it was the right move. How early do you start in this process? Like, is that's, Nicola, Nicola already said uh, in, a, in a podcast that I had with him was that you always have to live in the future. So in the current season, you're already preparing for the next season. But how early do you start of, okay, identifying the guy And then start potentially recruiting if that's a possibility through through the agent to figure out what the situation is. Like, is that is there a certain time period during this prior season, or is it in the summertime where it could be also too late? Like, how do you know it, what, that it's not too early and not too late? Well, you're talking about the first team or the main team, of course, not uh, the whole program. No, yeah. Um, well, it depends. Uh, you can you can start, you know, targeting guys knowing that I'm sure it's going to slip out of the market. Because, of course, if we 
compete money-wise with others. Uh, there's going to be the first 12 teams, then there's going to be 10 feet of crap, and then there's us, <laughs> okay? So, uh, which is okay. It's, it's, it's fun for me. At least it gives me, uh, it stimulates me, you know, coming up with ideas. And, um, you know, th this is going back to one second to, to the Trinchieri topic. This is the, 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 the beauty for me of working every day here. And uh, whatever we try, even the things that don't work, are always stimulating. They, were all, they would always be worth trying, okay? And uh, there is a thought process behind it. Uh, sometimes you, you target the guys in January. Sometimes uh, you target the guys in November and you can actually do stuff. Uh, sometimes you have to wait until everybody else overlooks the player. Uh, or until he fails bad on another team. Um, the standard deadline is usually the final four for EuroLeague market. After the final four, you know this better than I do uh, because you've been the bigger fish in the pond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you still are because you're the, you're the NBA, basically. So uh, if you make a phone call in your position to an agent about, uh, you know, you name the player, uh, you know, the player is going to be wanting his agent to go till the very end to explore the possibility. Mm -hmm. And you, if you're me in, 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 in Bayern Munich in this moment, you have to wait, which means that you need to have option A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, because that's the only way to sleep at night. Because if you put all of your stock on, on, on one guy. And then this guy ends up signing somewhere else. You're dead. And that's when you lose your sleep. And this is one thing I learned working in Biela because uh, very often we would put all of our stock on one guy. Most of the times it, uh, it worked well. And sometimes we got screwed at the very end. So, so uh, that's why like sometimes the bigger fish, uh, let's call the big clubs, or uh, they... Their phone calls, I think, are few and far between because whenever they call, it's they're 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 in a position of power. It comes at a high premium, and the medium level teams they may have to do the recruiting a little bit more often, a little bit more uh, phone calls, a little bit more information gathering, and then build the relationships uh, a little bit longer with the agent or with the with the people around that person in order to be already present if the other things don't fall through. Is that for me a correct way to understand of of the process? Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a movie line in a Moneyball movie uh, where Brad Pitt uh, says, uh, if we think like the, the Yankees here, we're going to be losing to the Yankees there. And uh, as long as you have this kind of approach and you know who you are, because this is one of the, the trickiest things uh, of Bayern Munich, for example, because people see the brand. And they say, like, well, you know what? You guys are going to be signing boom, 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 boom. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. And, uh, I mean, we're not the poor relatives. <laughs> I would say we're poor, but not relatives at all yet. Maybe we're going to get there in the future. And maybe we're going to get a big enough fish. Uh, but I, I think that our recruitment uh, follows uh, an unconventional route in, in that sense. Uh, we're not going to go there and offer more money uh, than uh, other teams. Uh, don't, uh, of course, I don't mention the names of those teams. But we need to be credible in the, in the working environment and the basketball proposal we come up with. 
this can only happen if we have uh, a very clear identity and a very very strong culture. And um, I give you, I can give you an example. Uh, I think that, for example, uh, Darren Hilliard, he had higher offers than ours, and um, we proposed him to do something on the court with the ball in his hands that he has never been given the opportunity to do. It comes to a cost because, of course, you use him for what he's already good at. He's not going to make much mistakes. You know, he's going to be a safe landing. But the safe landing for safe landing, he is going to go for the bigger salary. You know, uh, on, you, have to offer and, something, it, you have to offer something different. I can tell him, look, it will be growing pains. It will be this. It will be that. But this is who we are. If you come in with the approach of rediscussing who you are and, you know, play another hand of poker. So you've been on a Final Four team, uh, actually two Final Four organizations, because Basconi is a Final Four organization, and says, God, no need to say. Um, you know, you come here on a team that, you know, will celebrate every single win, because this is who we are. Then if at the end of the season we had enough wins to qualify for the playoffs, we're going to go nuts like last year. But uh, we do not approach things for this reason. We are going to come up with something for a guy like him that we are in the intermediate step for a guy like him. So you have to be able, you have to know who you are in order to know what to offer to these people. You know, you're going to be working every day. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing that. You're going to be playing this way. So there's obviously the other, you know, the flip side, which is this might cost us games mm -hmm. in the first part of the season. Uh, and of course, nobody likes to lose, especially coaches. But when I say you need to handle development, the we competed great statement that Joe told me was, look who we have on the roster, on the payroll, and look who they have. Not in terms of quality, but in terms of how many years have the one summers been in the league? How many years have Austin Day been on the league, been in the league? And so on and so on. You know, Tariko White, I don't even remember the names, but, you know, and, and as I said, you can still get the wrong guy, but you need to have the right perspective on, yep. on what you're doing every day. And you have to deliver on the promise as well. And that's, that's another thing that also Andrea and me also discussed in, in, in the episode prior. Um, whenever you're recruiting a player, you, like, there's certain things that you have to deliver on. And uh, if, if, if the player doesn't deliver on that, then the role could also change. So that's also a possibility in, in, in certain regards. Um, but, yeah, but it's on the player then. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, exactly. Um, do, do you factor in chemistry when you build a roster? Is that something that you let, like you, you take into account when, uh, uh, whenever you're recruiting players and put the roster together? And if, if so, how much, what, at what premium does it come? Like how, how much is that a priority of, in terms of chemistry? Because for, for, with all the respect, as we're talking, like it's a, in the medium, medium uh, level team uh, competing to be in the playoffs and being competing to get, if, if you get to the final four, it's like you said, you celebrate every win. And that's a, that's a humble and a very uh, great attitude to have. That's to me, like it's a, I think you you can be successful with the underdog mentality, no matter what team you play on. Just the the big fish is sometimes they lose their underdog mentality and they they rely and they anticipate wins to come easy. But for the other level, for the other level 
uh, it's called other tier of teams, I think chemistry is a huge, huge factor. And that's why my question is, is that something you seek out or do you think that you, you try to navigate somehow with the, with the roster, with the people, uh, players you put into the roster that you're hoping that it comes together as, uh, as, uh, as the season goes along? Well, I think that hoping sounds a little bit too much like flipping the coin, okay? Um, there's a difference between knowing stuff and getting caught in what people say, for example. I think that the best chemistry we had here in Munich, <laughs> uh, the team with the best chemistry, was the most unlikely team to find a winning chemistry. But uh, last year, uh, it happened that these people for a number of reasons, and some of the reasons are unrepeatable, okay? And that's why we changed so much, because we have to take these reasons into account. Uh, everybody overperformed. Everybody and anybody had the chip on his shoulder. We were coming out of, uh, I would say, kind of a tragic season. And uh, as a club, we wanted to prove. Uh, and the players we signed, they all needed to prove. Uh, They clicked right away, for example. Okay, sticking to the question, you can assume certain things, you can know some facts, but whether they're going to click one another, it's a different story. And, uh, you know, you can reduce your margin of error, but nobody's going to guarantee you that it will work. Uh, just like nobody can guarantee you that it will not work. I think that uh, you need to be doing certain things because, you know, um you know how okay if you don't do certain things they will never get together or most probably they're not going to get together but for example how many times did you hear like uh wow oh, we have a great group of guys that doesn't necessarily translate into good team chemistry because the difference between a group of people and the team is that the team foresees roles the group doesn't You're part of a group. I mean, you know, you just walk in, they're going to accept you no matter what or not accept you no matter what you have to bring to the table. You know, here, you have to make things clear when it comes down to the role. And this goes back to what we've talked about. When you give a player a role that he has never had and you recruit him. And, uh, I mean, the rest is uh, how, for example, in a conversation, you and I are going to listen to each other. What you're going to tell me is going to enrich my point of view, and so is the other way around. So how, how much are they willing to sacrifice uh, of their own stuff in order to have team success? Uh, again, last year, I always give the example of Baldwin. When I signed uh, Wade, and I've been after Wade even the, <laughs> the summer 2019, You know, everybody was like, stay off him, stay away from him. He's a troublemaker, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, Wade hasn't finished on a high note in the, in the Bundesliga for a number of reasons, but mainly because he has never played. He had never played that late into the season. Uh, so did uh, Jalen Reynolds. In the COVID year, when, the, you know, the biggest indulgence you can allow yourself is to smoke a cigar on the staircase going out of the gym after the biggest win in the history of the club. So, you know, this is, uh, these are things that need to be taken into account. So, paradoxically, last year, COVID brought us together. This year, 
okay, I don't know what's going to happen from now on. It seems like the situation in Germany is, is going pretty bad. Uh, but we did not have that thing that kept us together the whole time. The flip side is that the guys got burned out. Most, well, not most of them, but some of them got burned out. Crucial guys. We, we're not going to make it if, if Wade doesn't perform. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, there, there's a number of considerations that you can make that is endless. You know, and uh, in order to keep it real, yes, you need to get your facts straight. Yes, you need to find what is on the paper, good basketball chemistry. So I think this guy pairs well with this other guy. And uh, the rest is, you know, how they deal with each other every day. Uh, this is my belief. The pairing, the pairing is important of, say, who, who likes to play with whom, what, like what roles... The personality is the personality in tune with the role that he's going to have. Sometimes, I mean, there's delusional, also delusional imagination of role, and then the character comes into play if the role does not align with his character. Um, well, Ben, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, I think that the Wade Baldwin is is a guy, for example, that is super smart. He's a super intelligent kid. Okay, highly educated. And he's a good fit. He's a good kid. Now, I think he walked into the locker room and he took a good look around and he saw an alpha male standing in the corner. And he goes like, oh, I understand. This is his team. And uh, regardless, if he really believed that or not, okay, but he respected that. So I believe that when, when, when people talk about chemistry, they imagine, you know, they talk about universal love and uh, people loving each other. No, I think that, that there has to be mutual respect in order for them to function uh, with each other. And the respect of the game, respect of the personality, and uh, a big-time accountability. I mean, Wade has always said, like, Lucic is our leader, this and that. Now, you see uh, people say, like, yeah, you have one record with Lucic and a totally different record without Lucic. Uh, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, you imagine... <laughs> you imagine if, if you cut the head off to, to, to a human being, you know, you would have a body that doesn't know where to go, you yeah. know, and this is exactly what happened to us. I just want to reiterate for all the listeners who are looking for some, some, some things to, to, uh, to point out. Uh, when I say delusional imagination of a role, and I'm not referring to any players, just to make sure that I, <laughs> I'm still representing an organization that I have to be also aware of. So I can I, see I, you grew up in Germany, Benas. I can see yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the diplomacy. I studied communication, so I know how it can be interpreted. Or also, the experience helps as well. So, uh, just want to make sure it's not misunderstood because a lot of times you say one thing and then it comes out one way in your mind, but other people interpret it the way they want to interpret it and the way they see fit to be interpreted as. And uh, I would just want to make sure that I don't have. A relationship with the listener right now, so I don't know what he's going to think, <laughs> where he's going to go with his mind. Um, just keeping it real, just all. Uh, this is <laughs> this is what we do on this podcast. We keep it real, and uh, I I wanted uh, to go on and ask you about crisis management because you also mentioned crisis management that you had to had to. Um, I don't know if I want to call it pleasure of dealing with, but it is it is some sort of challenge that every team goes through. I don't think there is a successful team that doesn't go through a, 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 a crisis 
of whatever magnitude, big, small, whatever it is, but sometimes multiple crises in in, in a season. Uh, but how do you approach it when you identify there is a crisis, whether it's a losing streak or there's a conflict with the team or there's a fight in in in, uh, in on the court between two players in practice? How do you approach a crisis? And each crisis is different that I just mentioned. It's completely different different approaches to all of them. But is there a general approach that you have that you're going to point to a meeting? You're going to talk to a certain person in the organization? Who's the first one you're going to approach? So like, talk to me a little bit about the management part. Okay. Um, most of the crisis I had to deal with were, were never uh, related to players fighting one another. Um, so I can't tell you um, how I would behave on stage. Uh, if it happens, I'll call you, I'll let you know. Um, but uh, I'm a very respectful uh, uh, man and, and, and um, I try to understand what the reasons are for one behavior, okay, or the other behavior. Most of the crises are result-related. And um, I go back and I repeat myself to the we competed great type of statement because, you know, the result is the ambition, not the goal. The goal is to get the best out of your personnel, for example, to make it, okay, to have the chance to fulfill your ambition. Uh, it's um, okay in Italian the word is tecnicismo uh, but it changes the whole perspective and I'm not saying this because it's a catchphrase I'm saying this because I have to focus on the performance you know Zdenek Zeman uh, said once that uh, uh, the result is uh, accidental but the performance is not and you need to have a cold mind enough cold mind in order to distinguish the two things You know, am I losing the game because the others outperformed us? Am I losing the game because of you were in CSKA when Kriapa turned the ball over against Maccabi Milan? I'm sorry to open an old wound, but <laughs> we, you know we what open I'm up the about. can of worms right now. Let's go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. So that's... the bounce of the ball was not regular because there was uh, 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 an awkward uh, area on the in, in the parquet. So who are you going to blame for? Okay, you shouldn't have been in that position. You were up 10, three, four minutes ago, whatever the case it was. You know, but yeah, it's still a Final Four. I mean, how can you take things for granted in a Final Four? And by the way, the underdog team won that year, if you remember, and you do. And I know you do. Um, the, crisis, the crisis with the results is uh, you need to show unity. You have to be coherent. Um, uh, you know... There, there, there was uh, a player that one time refused to play, one time refused to check into the game during the game because he was mad at the referees. He had, uh, you know, he was mad. I'm, I'm not going to play. I'm out of here. I'm done. So, but you need the guy. So how, you, how do you handle a situation like that? Uh, like Nicola says, you need to see the future in that sense. So, okay, you don't want the guy... You pull the trigger, the guy's out. Probably even for a right cause or something. So you have a reason to... He's in breach of contract. He's basically not going to work. Yes. But as a club, but as a club, you may want to have an edge on a guy, especially the guys who cause trouble. And you want to keep him on a short leash. It's an example I'm, 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 just, I'm just giving, you know. 
there are complicated personalities and there are guys who can see through you in that sense. And they can spot. So, you know, on one end, you need to have the ability to inspire. But on the other end, you need to, be, to have the ability to manipulate. Mm-hmm. It sounds really bad, okay? But look, I, I, I can't go in details, but, you know, there was a famous coach uh, years ago that, uh, uh, you know, when, when his player, you know, got, got, got caught drunk driving and had a car accident and hurt the guy, whatever. I mean, the player was freaking out for being thrown out and uh, I got no future here and there. And this coach was smart enough to go there and, you know, basically tell him, you're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry about anything. He was, this guy was in jail. Okay. And guess what? This guy's played for the same coach for 10 years. So, and they've been accomplishing quite a lot together. This is a story that I was told by the back then assistant coach of that team. So relata refero. So I'm telling you. So you know, you can say he inspired him. You can say he had, a, he felt he had, a, he owed him a debt, or he just manipulated him. You know, any way you look at it, he was capable of reaching the guy. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter how you do it. In my opinion. I, I totally agree, and I completely see that. And it's very subjective. It's from person to person, it's different. But you have to have a feel for people in that regard to understand. All right, this guy, he will appreciate if I show strength, and I I I do not punish him. I do not you know kick him out just because it says in on the on the book in the one on one of of uh, management that if you do this, you will fire. You'll be fired. But I I I, I show him a helping hand. I give him a helping hand. And he will pay me back triple the the uh, the what he what he normally would have paid back. And I, I have an example from from my times in Germany when my father was the head coach, and there was guys that we put on contracts on try tryouts because we brought him in. And in the second division, it's more you know like it's easier to do those kind of contracts with a tryout. And my father, because he played, he had a feel for the person. He had a feel for the player that he's just too uptight. You know, he's too uptight. I can see that the tryout period is above his head. And it's just like, man, I can see the talent in him. I can see it's just that he needs to get this like, extra 10% of his shoulders to perform well. And you make a gut call. You make a gut decision in that regard. I was like, man, and we had nine out of the 10 times. And it was one particular that didn't work out. But one, nine out of the 10 times it worked out because it just exponentially got better. And the team played better because the tryout period was off of him. So it's not like a, like crisis management per se but it is a certain kind of knowledge of people knowledge of the situation which which comes which with experience and with a certain amount of emotional intelligence i guess as well yeah definitely it's, it happens very often that once you go up to the kid and you say like well you know uh we decided to go separate ways then the guy has the best game of his career yeah has exactly. a career game yeah. because you know what no you pressure. Know, yeah, I remember. I remember a movie line of the Usual Suspects. You know how to spot a murderer. You know you say you arrest three guys. The guy that sleep sleeping in the morning is your guy because he he can rest. He knows he got caught. So that that's uh, that, that that's what I what I compare <laughs> the thing to. But let me tell you one thing. If I can steal you thirty seconds about the crisis, uh, when we were in Bamberg. Um, I remember one of the very first uh, games that I attended was the home game with Bayern. And we won big. We won by 20 or something. And uh, I remember 
the uh, owner wanted to give us a bonus or something like that, which I rejected. I said, no, I mean, it's a regular season game. I mean, why do we, why do you want to pay a bonus? No. So this is, uh, I mean, we already get paid to, to perform well. Uh, it's not an accomplishment winning in the regular season. Okay. So, you know, three weeks later, we play Euro Cup, still against Bayern. We're in the same group. And we lost by 38 at home, okay? And uh, I remember, okay, in Italy, they, <laughs> I mean, they will, they will wait for you outside of the, the arena. They would beat the crap out of you, okay? But here in Bamberg, everybody was in shock, okay? Now, I remember that was a kind of a turning point because he put us in a position to be the underdogs. Mm -hmm. There are 40 points between us and them. They are the defending champions. They have a very deep rotation with all the German guys we have. It doesn't matter whether I feel our team is better than theirs or is going to end up being the better team when the time comes. I basically played uh, uh, this uh, the role of the underdog because I knew that the moment we got overconfident, we lost by 40. That was, and this is why I say that the, the biggest of the issues we had, even back in Biella, was uh, happened. Uh, you know, when uh, occurred when when we were winning, not when we had trouble. When we had trouble, we we became like a rugby team. Uh, I remember fighting to 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 save the division, which we did by losing in Bologna to Fortitude. You can imagine the way I felt that day. You know, at Paladozza, and we had to wait for the result coming from Livorno. But still, you know, the moment you are overconfident, that's when you do the biggest bullshit. And excuse my language, but because, you know, you relax and you're like, ah, I think I'm good. The moment you start thinking you're good, it's the moment you should quit. Because, uh, I mean, it's like, uh, I can't remember if it was uh, John Wooden saying, you know, how would you, do, how would you do it all over again if you think you know it all, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you just have to do it. And that's why, you know, going back on the profession definition, you know, you have you have a window, you have a time frame where you can really do, um, you can get the best out of your years in a club. And then inevitably you're going to consume yourself and you need to be smart enough to know when it's time to leave. Okay. When you, for example, you can't lead people through crisis. You know, today I was talking to the agent of one of our players. And I told him, like, you know, I read once, you know, the, the person who gets out of the storm is not the person who walks into the storm. And that's what the storm is all about, you know. So mm -hmm. how, you know, it's development of players. And, and this is one of the issues we have nowadays. You take an agent and the agent goes like, well, you need to let the guy go because he's a young guy. He's not playing this and that. No, he needs to fight through. If he can't fight this, you can't be coming in, in his rescue with a shortcut. You're sending the wrong message. It wasn't the case of the agent I spoke to today, but this is what you get most of the time. The guy should play. The guy should play if he deserves to play. Exactly. I, yeah. I handle the same, you know, with the same type of principles what happens with the team. I mean, we're not ready to, to, to be this good. We need to keep working. We need to change things. If you think you're good enough, then you should be winning every game. You know? <laughs> So, so let's just go back a little bit more into the players' aspect. What, what do you think is the biggest uh, 
reason for a player's mental collapse during games during the season like what do you do you think it originates from or is that something that just is lingering and is growing as the as the season goes along and the player is feeling some sort of uh disregard by the organization by the coaches or whatever it is what do you think is the biggest reason for a, a player's mental collapse well you mean most frequent or most important most important to me the most important is uh, the fact that uh, if i had to draw the mentality of the players, which is the vast majority of the guys that come here, because everybody sees Lucic how he is right now, but nobody remembers that Lucic came here to get out of Valencia because he was not satisfied. He didn't have playing time. He won with the, with the team. They won EuroCup, for example, and I'm, I don't remember what else. Uh, but at the end of the day, he came here to prove himself. So if I have to draw these guys, I would draw them as, uh, you know, those, you know, enigmistic stuff, you know. I don't know if the English is correct. Um, like uh, the magazines that they give you, like, uh, how do you say, an image made of dots. And yeah. you have to connect them. Enigma. Enigma, something like that. Uh, and these guys have all the dots, but they don't, they have never been put in a position to connect them. And to really know and figure out who they are and what they're expected to do. So they come in, you tell them what the role is. Yeah, but it's like the Blues Brothers, you know, where they go to the country place and they just see the list and they go like, yeah, but this is just the list. We'll play our own tunes. And they got, you know, people start throwing bottles and stuff at them. So, mm -hmm. you know, all, all, all of these uh, things to me are, uh, uh, how do you say, adding up and... and um, And uh, these guys go through some, some mental collapse because they don't have support and they don't know that they have to hit rock bottom in order to be willing to ask for help. You know, uh, it happens very often with, with young guys because they, they're closed up. They don't want to share their fears. If you don't open up, if you don't ask for help here, how can we help you? Because you're 20 years old. You're not supposed to know. You're 28 years old. But you have been playing at the level you don't belong to yet. You skipped steps and inevitable or inevitably reality will set in. I believe that this is the case of Darren Hilliard. I mean, he's going to hate me, but I've been pursuing him for years. Okay, I've been trying to sign him for years. He went to a level that was too high where they evaluate how much they're paying you instead of where you come from, what you've been missing in your career. Yeah, but I pay you this much and you have to deliver. You know, this is, I'm, I'm not saying that this is what happens in Basconia, but I'm just saying that this might be tricking the mentality of the player because, for example, a player signed for half a million. When you, when you every month pay a guy 50,000 euros, it's hard to convince him that he needs to learn stuff, that he needs to go through this crisis, that crisis, or the hard coaching of the guy. Or the, or the coach, or the benching thing, or the fans booing him, whatever the case may be, you know? I'm a big believer in this, and I learned it on the fly. Because, you know, yeah, I, I, even this is, um, is a movie line from Moneyball. Like, uh, well, you pay me seven millions. So, you know, and he goes like, no, no, the Knicks, the, the Yankees are paying half of it to play against them. This is what they think of you. So and sometimes, you know, it would be easy to do the maths, but they don't connect the dots. This is what I mean. Mm -hmm. That would give them a, a very healthy reality check. And they would be put on the stage they belong to 
and they would finally be able to start over because in the end it's a new beginning when they come here or a beginning mm-hmm. this is uh hot stuff right here daniel i like it you're 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 very transparent very open um <laughs> you should have known that <laughs> yeah um you ready for my atos and i'm i'm gonna be shot, shot firing uh, at you some quick hitters uh, to finish off this podcast and you gonna answer me as direct and as 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 quick as possible and um, but i will not rebuttal anything i will just let you talk Uh, well, I was I was a terrible player, and mostly I would never remember plays. So make sure you explain me the the ATO. Simple, simple, simple. Yeah, your your role is gonna be simple. Stand in the corner yeah. and shoot. Stand in the corner <laughs> okay. and shoot. All right. Uh, advice from your older self to your younger self. An advice. Uh, eat more vegetables. A book that impacted you the most until this day? It's two equally. One is Legacy uh, about the All Blacks. And I think that uh, a friend that we know uh, gave it to me. Um, <laughs> okay. And the second one, it's actually a very, very easy reading book. It's kind of a diary. It's called uh, La Vita Fino a Te. It's an Italian book, of course. And there are two or three chapters that uh, when I read it, uh, I said to myself, I, I should have written this. Damn it. I should have written this, you know. And uh, it's when it's like meeting the free soul. You know, you, you recognize it right away. You know. How often do you exercise during the week? Every day. Six out of seven days. I run 10 kilometers. Favorite wi- white wine uh, for a fish dinner? <laughs> oh, that's tough. Uh, okay, you want hot stuff or you want entry level? High end, high shelf, shelf top shelf, top top shelf stuff. I can't name the I can't name the brand, but uh, Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, and it's. Uh, It's um, how do you say? It's an orange wine, okay. So it's uh, does maceration, and uh, I can say the name. It's a medio pepe, so it's a bi- it's big brand and big in the sense that famous, but not uh, commercial stuff. It's wow. Favorite red wine for a meat dinner? Uh, Taurasi, Taurasi from Salvatore Molettieri. Vigna Cinque Querce. Vigna Cinque Querce. And last one, uh, this is a Tim Ferriss question. I don't know if you know Tim Ferriss or not. He's a very favorite entrepreneur and has a podcast. And he always asks his guests, um, if, you would, if you would want to put, if you could put one thing on a billboard for people to see, what would that be? On a huge billboard uh, in, on a highway or in a city, just so people can see uh, something that you would put right on there. About what? About anything. Well, I, I can't answer the question. Uh, I was hoping that you would ask me who would I have dinner with, but <laughs> well, I'd rather have dinner with. But uh, no, I really don't know. I've never thought about it. I okay, would, let's. Uh, I don't know. Let, 
I'll substitute that question. Uh, last last second substitute for the ATO. We're subbing somebody else somebody else in. Last question: Who is your Who's your choice for dinner? Because Andrea had the same uh, same question. So choose the dinner for people alive current currently. Oh, alive! Three oh. people. Three people. Three people alive. Uh, okay, uh, my longtime schoolmate. That has been sitting next to me for five years. He was called. He was described by the professor, the, um, a literature professor, professor as a cult student. Um, this was the definition he was given. Um, definitely, definitely, David Blatt, and uh, and probably my parents. All right. We'll leave it at that. And Daniela, thanks a lot for for uh, for joining my podcast over here, my platform, my my hobby on the side. Thanks for being so transparent and keeping it real. Uh, I'm very uh, pleased to have you in my in my inner circle of trust. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing you soon again. Don't keep Italians too close, though. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. All Thank right. You. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.